Amen. Good morning, GBC. Welcome. We are glad you guys are here. First Peter chapter 2 is where we're heading. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. And let's dive right in. First Peter chapter 2. And don't worry if you don't have a Bible. We've got a Bible in the sky. Normally I would say we'll hand you a Bible, but I don't know if you would receive it from one of us in these weird and unique days. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Let's read God's word. <clears throat> But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received Mercy, verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. God's word to us this morning. Enduring through the hard stuff. That's the conversation we've been having in these days. Turning to the Apostle Peter to find encouragement so that we don't just survive these unique days, but so that we would thrive in the midst of them. And thus far in the letter of 1 Peter, Peter has written encouragement after encouragement after encouragement to the people of God. Remember, his recipients of this letter were first century Christians who were experiencing intense persecution, intense chaos. At the hands of a godless and pagan society and under the helm of a tyrannical and pretty crazy emperor, Nero. And though we may not be kind of experiencing the same stuff that these first readers were experiencing, let's be honest, we are in our own unprecedented times, right? In the midst of a pandemic that seems to just not ever going to end in the midst of uncertainty after uncertainty, pressing us on every side, struggling economy, racial tension that seems to be just growing and fomenting across our country. I'm pretty sure we're entering into a political and election season that's going to be as ugly as 2016 was. And to top it off, we just don't know what to do. Do we wear a mask or no? Do we send our kids to school or no. Do we believe this article or that article, this statistic or that statistic? And so before we unpack 1 Peter 2, I, I want to say two things. Uh, two things I don't think we've said as clearly as I want to say this morning. The first thing I want to say, I want to remind us what hasn't changed in this season. What hasn't changed in this season is that the good news of the gospel is still good news. And you need it, and I need it, and our neighbors need it, and everything it has to offer. That hasn't changed. What also hasn't changed is God's mission. And God's mission is that we, the people of God, would be about the purposes of God. Loving God and loving people into knowing and embracing and savoring Jesus. And so let's take a deep breath this morning and be reminded that God is still seated on the throne. 
And that he has promised to faithfully meet our needs, those who are in Christ, faithfully meet our needs according to his riches and glory that are in Christ Jesus. What hasn't changed is our need for the gospel and the mission of God. Now, second thing I want to say is what has changed. Well, everything else. <laughs> everything else has changed. And that's okay. Because while the how of living out the call of God on our lives might look different, knowing what and why helps us to zero in on what God's call of God on our life is in this season. You know, Dustin the last two weeks has kept in front of us this call of being bridge builders. That if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you are a priest, a biblical priest. A bridge builder, Latin word pontifex, one who bridges the way, who, who closes the gap, one who builds bridges to get people to God and to get people to one another. We are called to be bridge builders in Christ. And you'll remember that every biblical priest has a right and a what? A responsibility. We have a right of access. We get to come boldly to the throne room of God's grace to obtain mercy and find help in our time of need. Why? Because Jesus has shed his blood. And don't ever forget that in a Jewish mind, access to the presence of God was unheard of. Why? Because God is infinitely holy and we are infinitely not apart from the work of Jesus Christ. No one came into the presence of God without a mediator, a go-between. Jesus is our go-between. And because of the shed blood of Christ, we get to come close. We have a right of access. But we also have a responsibility to bring others to Christ and to bring Christ to other people. Now, this morning, Peter's going to drill down a little bit more clearly into what a biblical priest sounds like and looks like like read with me verse 9 but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him verse 11 beloved i urge you as sojourners and exiles abstain from the passions of the flesh or i'm sorry verse 11 verse 12 keep your conduct among the gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they might glorify God. There's a call in our life as biblical priests to build bridges. And we build bridges best when we both declare the good news of the gospel and display the good news of the gospel. When we both declare, we proclaim the excellencies of God. And we display the good news of the gospel by abstaining and living among. And so that's what we're going to zero in on this morning in this passage, to become a people of declaration and a people of declare, of display. You, you, O Christian man or woman, verse 9, you, you are a chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, so that you might proclaim and declare the excellencies of God. I love, again, Peter names us, he identifies us before he calls us into action, which reminds us once again that who we are always informs what we are called to do. Because we are who God says we are, a chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, because of who we are, that we might proclaim 
the excellencies of him. What's it mean to proclaim something? To make it known, right? To talk about it, to declare, to convey, to say, to speak out, to preach, to announce. We are called to be a people of declaration here. And Peter calls us to proclaim the excellencies of him. Now, before we can get into unpacking what that looks like and what that means, I want to remind you that Peter was one of the very first disciples called by Jesus. And what we're going to see throughout this whole passage is Peter just kind of lifting pages from Jesus' playbook. Because Jesus modeled what it looked like to be a priest to be one who both declared and displayed the good news of the gospel. You remember how Jesus first came on the scene and first began his public ministry? Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, we're told that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming, preaching, announcing, declaring the gospel of God, saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Jesus came proclaiming, just like Peter is calling us to do. But that's not all Jesus did. Jesus didn't just talk the talk, right? He didn't just come with words to say about the kingdom of God, but he would then invite men and women into learning to live out the kingdom of God. The, the very next part of the invitation of Jesus in those early days was repent, believe, and Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's what he says to Simon, who would later be called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James and John. Come, follow me. Walk close to me. Learn from me. Watch me intently. And then get your hands dirty. Let's, let's engage in living this thing called life out, Jesus said. I want you to follow me. Jesus both declared and displayed the good news of the gospel, and so should we, which is why Peter calls us as God's chosen people, his holy nation, his holy royal priesthood, to proclaim the excellencies of him. So, so what does it look like? How do we do this? As biblical priests who are called to build bridges by declaring and displaying, how do we declare the good news of the gospel? I see three things in this first part of the passage for proclaiming the excellencies of God. First one is found in verse 9. One of the ways that we proclaim God's excellencies is by telling people how God has changed us. Look at it there, verse 9. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Come on, how, how many of you remember how utterly dark the darkness was that you were consumed in before Jesus came and rescued you? How easy it was for you to sin. How likely it was for you to cheat and defraud and slander and use and manipulate and abuse and coerce. Like those of us who remember how dark the darkness was, we remember who we used to be and we remember who and we know who we now are in Christ. And one of the ways we proclaim God's excellencies is we tell people how God has changed us and how God continues to change us. One of the good news of the gospel is not that Jesus saved me one day long, long ago, but that God is still saving me right here, right now, present tense. 
He is conforming me and making me look more like Jesus and reminding me of ways in which I'm not believing the good news of the gospel. Becoming a people who proclaim the excellencies of God starts with making sure we know how to share our story. And tell people how God has changed us and is changing us. And most importantly, how we could not change ourselves. Being a people of declaration is learning to tell our story and make sure that Jesus is the hero. There's another way here. Look at verse 10. Peter says to proclaim his excellencies is how, uh, uh, verse 10, where is it? I lost it. Okay, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Another way that we proclaim the excellencies of God is by celebrating the beauty of belonging to the people of God. Yeah, I'm talking to you too, live stream folks, and those of you over in the overflow room, totally forgot you were here. Sorry about that. One of the ways we proclaim the excellencies of God is we learn to celebrate the beauty of belonging to the people of God. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. And listen, the people of God, they don't all look like you. You know this, right? You understand this. They don't live in the same places. They don't make the same money. They don't have the same color of skin. And that's a part of the beauty and diversity of the unity of what God has done in the people of God. There is no other thing in the world, in the cosmos, in which every nation and every tribe and every tongue can come together and celebrate diversity within unity. And the body of Christ, the church, the people of God that you are now a part of, it is multicultural, it is multinationed, it is multilingual. Then the day is coming where we will stand around the throne of God with every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, and we will glorify God. So one of the ways we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness is we make much about the body of Christ and the beauty of celebrating, of living inside that body. There's, there's one more here. How do we proclaim the excellencies of God? we got to make much of the mercy of God. Look at the end of verse 10. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What, what's mercy? Mercy is mercy's not getting what we deserved, not receiving what we deserved. Grace is getting what we didn't deserve. Don't ever forget that apart from the intervening and substitutionary work of Christ, you and I, we were targets of God's wrath. God painted the target of his divine anger and righteous wrath on sin. We've been shown much mercy. And we all want God to be just, right? We all want God to be just. We want God to respond to injustice and to sin and to evil. And our desire for that longing is because we have been created in the very image of God. And God has breathed his DNA into us. We long for God to respond to injustice and evil and sin. And yet apart from the work of Christ on our behalf, for God to strike at injustice and sin would be to destroy all of us apart from Christ. We've been shown much mercy and we need to make the mercy of God, a part of our story. We need to make much of God's mercy. So we are to be a people of declaration. 
We talk about how God has changed us. We celebrate belonging to the multicultural, multidiverse, beautiful body of Christ. And we make much of the mercy of God. We are called to be a people of declaration in these days. we got to talk about the good news of the gospel. But we cannot just be a people who talk the talk, right? We also need to walk the walk. Yeah, you're right. Because what does it do to the testimony of the church of Jesus Christ when we as God's people, we talk the talk, but we fail to walk the walk? When we declare the good news in word, but we fail to demonstrate the good news in deed? Come on, I know that you have people in your life, if not you personally, who have stumbled over confessing Christians who talked a good game, but their lives did not match up with the confession of their lips. We've all been guilty at this at some point in our story, and it should not be so, which is why Peter wants us to know that we build bridges best when we are not just people who declare the good news, but we are people who display the good news. We don't just talk about it, but we live it out. We walk the walk. So what does it look like to display, to demonstrate the good news of the gospel? Peter's got a word for us. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Say abstain. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among, say among. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will one day glorify God on the day of visitation. Abstain among. Let's talk about being a people of display. And Peter presents a unique tension here. He says, abstain from the flesh. He says, yet live among the Gentiles. Gentiles, a common designation for those who do not yet know God. Those who are outside of the covenant people of God. Those who weren't Jewish. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Abstain means to stay away, back off, don't touch. Steer clear, abstain from the passions of the flesh, those habit patterns that used to mark your life apart from Jesus Christ. Abstain from yet, live among those who do not yet know the love of Christ. Here's the unique tension. To abstain yet to live among paints a picture of two extremes that Christians are commonly drawn toward. On one extreme... We're called to abstain from sin, which is biblical. But if we're not careful, we will end up abstaining from sinners, which is not biblical. And on the other extreme, we are called to live among those who live in the world and who do not care about a biblical worldview and who do not care about our Jesus. We are called to live among the world. And if we're not careful, we can pass living among and start to live like the world, and there is no distincting quality or characteristic that sets us apart from the world. You, you've seen this image. Let me show you this picture. It gives us a biblical picture of what it looks like and the unique tension presented in this passage. We are called to abstain, yet live among. And the biblical call lands us right in the middle. Our charge as we display the gospel is to live holy lives unto God, but do so publicly in the midst of meaningful relationships with people who do not yet know the love of Christ. Statistics tell us that most Christians don't have any meaningful relationships with people who do not yet know the love of Christ. 
and yet we are called to both abstain yet live among those who do not follow God. Let, let me say it like this. this. This might make it a little bit easier. Because, again, Peter is just lifting a page from Jesus' playbook. Peter is calling us to do what Jesus prayed for us to do in John 17, to live sanctified and sent. John chapter 17, verse 17 and 18. Do you remember John 17? We preached through the whole uh, prayer early on this year for abide 21 days. And Jesus prays in John chapter 17, verse 17. Listen to this. Oh, God, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And in the very same breath. And as you sent me into the world, Father, now I send them. Live sanctified and sent. Now, we've talked about what it means to be sanctified a lot here at GBC. Sanctified means to be distinct, to be set apart. The word comes from the root word, Greek word, hagias. It means to be holy. Separate. This might help. How many of y'all got a china cabinet at home? Or you grew up with a china cabinet? You didn't pull those dishes out unless the right folks came to the house, right? Them were those sanctified dishes. All the other common plates and cups and dishes, anybody could use those, but not them sanctified wares, right? That's what Peter is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. We have been sanctified. We have been made distinct and set apart by God for the purposes of God. We are called to be holy people, which means our lives are to look different than the world that we live in. Yet, in the very same breath, we are called to be sent, sent by God and for God to live out the beauty of what it means to be in Christ in this world. And so Peter is saying here, live a sanctified life. And a sanctified life is a life that abstains and says no to passions that are driven by the flesh. But don't mix this up. We abstain from passions, not people. We abstain from sin, not sinners. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of y'all kind of need to, like, be sanctified from some folks in your life for a season for the sake of your sanctification. If that's you, we can have a conversation later. We'll help you walk through that. But the general exhortation that Peter is giving us here is that we are to look different, and yet we are to live sent lives. Because you know what happens? You know what happens when we live one without the other? You know what happens when we live sanctified and holy lives yet not be sent? We isolate and we retreat. And we hunker down in our Christian bubbles. And we hang out with our Christian friends only. And we eat our Christian food only. And we watch our Christian movies only. And we listen to our Christian music only. And we do not engage the culture into which God has called us to be salt and light. And beloved, we are in the most divisive season of my life ever living on this planet. And we need to engage the culture in which God has called us to live, not retreat. As Christians, we need to stop abstaining from sinners. We need to live honorably among those who do not yet know the love of Christ. But conversely, we can't just live sent with no concern for our sanctification. What happens when we just live a sent on mission life with no concern for our holiness? Man, we stop living among, we start looking like, and nobody can tell the difference of what it means to be a part of the family of God. And so so what does it look like? 
to live a sent life while maintaining a life of holiness. And, and, and remember, holiness is not just about don't touch, don't taste, don't chew, don't hang with those who do. Holiness is identifying our identity in Christ, that we are indwelt by the one who is holy and righteous and distinct. And when we root ourselves in our identity as holy ones, we learn to ask the spirit of the living God, hey, do I have permission to do that, to say that, to go there, to put that in my mouth, to listen to that, to consume that entertainment? So what does it look like? What does it look like to display, to live out a sanctified yet a sent life? What does it look like to conduct ourselves honorably among those who do not yet know the love of Christ? Especially here now, year 2020, in the, in the midst of the, the age of COVID. The Bible's got a lot to say of what it looks like to live our lives honorably. I just want to take you to one place. And if this isn't a commentary on the culture in which we live, I don't know what is. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. This is just one example of what it means to live honorable lives among those who do not yet know the love of Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 through 4. You ready? Just imagine if the people of God would live out this text. Verse 1. Let brotherly love Continue. What would happen if we began loving one another as family? Truly loving one another as family. I know, I know. Some of your families are jacked up. I get it. Me too. Speaking from experience here. But what would happen if we began to love one another as family? The family that God has called us to be. A family that looks with love and not for love. A family that understands our needs are ultimately being met right now by our heavenly father in Christ. And so we are free to give ourselves away to one another. Let brotherly love continue. That's how we conduct ourselves honorably among those who don't yet know the love of Christ. Verse 2. I love this verse. One of my favorites. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. How do we live this out? We build bigger tables and we pull more chairs up to the table. And we invite those who know Jesus and don't know Jesus to our tables. I, I, I wish I could bring you guys up, Jeff, Connie, to talk about hospitality and what it looked like on the missions field. Hospitality in the first century, it was rooted in the people of God. And it was a, an egregious sin to not open up your home to invite strangers and those who were outsiders into your home to receive rest and love and food and whatever practical need that they had. How would it change the world if we built bigger tables? Honor and live honorably among those who don't yet know Jesus. Verse 3, let's step on your toes a bit. Remember those who are in prison. This one's for you, wardens. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. You want a verse for the current racial unrest in our culture right now? Remember those who are mistreated. Whether or not you have statistics to back up your viewpoint or not. Remember those who are in prison as if you were there. Remember those who are mistreated. 
because you are a part of the body and God longs for them to be a part of the body. Verse 4. Okay, this way, this one might step on your toes too. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. How do we stand for truth? How do we conduct ourselves honorably amongst a culture and a people who do not yet know the love of Christ nor care for our biblical worldview? We champion God's standard for the expression of our sexuality, not the shifting winds of popular opinion. We understand that God's ethic of sexuality is the safest place for any of us to be. And at Grace Bible Church, our understanding of God's sexual ethic is that our sexuality is only to be expressed in the context of a marriage covenant union between one biological male and one biological female for a life. That's one path of the expression of our sexuality. The other path is chastity and singleness, holiness and chastity and singleness. If that raises more questions for you, let's talk. Let's have a conversation about that. Because we want to live honorably in a culture that does not care about what God cares about. And when we do this, folks, when we are people of declaration and display, when we care enough about people to tell them who God is and what God has done and who we are in light of that, and when we will stand for truth and God's standards, even when everything about our culture screams otherwise, verse 12, this is what will happen. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Folks, how we declare and display the gospel can play a powerful, powerful role in those who are far from God one day glorifying God. You know, we sang about greater things. Jesus told him himself, John chapter 14, I'm going away and you're going to do greater works. Why? Because I'm sending my spirit to live in you and through you. And I will be everywhere that you are now. Love people well. Declare the good news of the gospel and display it passionately. Stand for truth. Don't win arguments. Win hearts and do that. By loving people as family, building bigger tables, remembering those who are broken and walking through harsh times. And honor God's sexuality, his ethic of sexuality. Gosh, we, we should have even gone to verse 5 in Hebrews 13. Don't love money, he says. Don't love money. Instead, understand God's economy as he owns everything and you're just a steward. So trust God to meet your needs and give everything else to those who need. Here's your homework. Here's your homework. Come back to Hebrews 13 this week. Come back to Hebrews chapter 13 this week and just camp out on these first five verses. And here's the question I want you to ask. Lord, who? Who do you want me to live this out among? Who do you want me to live this out among? And the second question, who can live it out with me? There are believers in this room that live right around the corner from you. 
that both want to do this but don't know how, let's marry you guys together in community so that you can live on mission for the good of your neighbors and for the glory of God. What hasn't changed, folks, is that the good news of the gospel is still good news and your neighbors need everything it has to offer and so do you, so do I. And what hasn't changed is God's mission of making disciples who make disciples is what we have been called to do. And don't ever forget that when Jesus gave that great commission in Matthew 28 to go into all the world to make disciples who make disciples, he sandwiched that call to go with his power and his presence. You remember that? He says, all authority is given to me on heaven and on earth and under the earth. Go make disciples. And oh, yeah, I'm going to be with you always, even into the end of the age. Our call to make disciples is not a call to do it in isolation and alone. We are called to go together and we are called to go with both the power and the presence of Jesus hugging us and sending us out. We are called to live sanctified and sent lives. Peter calls us to live a life of declaration and display. And it's going to get harder for us. Guess what Peter's going to call us to next week? Submit to your governing authorities out of reference and deference to God for his sake. Oh, I'm so glad Dustin didn't give me that verse. And he's been wrestling over it. But this is a commentary for us today. We need to hear what God has to say to us because we have a mission to be a people of salt and light, a people who are sanctified and sent. Your neighbors need to see Jesus in you and through you and as you. Your family needs to see Jesus in you, as you, and through you. Your pastors need to see it to be encouraged that the mission is still a go for the good of our cities and for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that... You don't call out of us what you have not first put into us. Thank you that the Apostle Paul reminds us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And then reminds us in the very next verse, for it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Jesus, would you work out your good pleasure in and through us in these days? To be a people of declaration and display. A people who champion the holiness out of our sanctification but live sent and seek to live honorably among those who do not yet know you. Thank you, Jesus, for being the greatest missionary. For being the first one to set the example of coming and showing us how to abstain from passions of the flesh and to live honorably among those who did not yet know you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.